this morning I mentioned something about the fact, in, in my experience anyway, that uh, people seem to have a terrible time being able to leave things alone. Uh, and it doesn't really seem to matter a whole lot what it is, but uh, they just have to mess with it in one way or another. They've got to tweak it a little bit, make it a little this way or a little that way or something, but they have, they have to do something to it. And uh, sometimes that's all right. Sometimes it doesn't matter. You know, if you don't like the way it is, then just make it suit yourself and everything's all right. But sometimes it's not a good thing, and it's especially not a good thing when people begin to make changes or adapt things that God has set out for us to do or for us to be. Uh, now, you can, you can change things that I've done. I might get a little irritated at you, but and you can probably get away with that all right. Uh, but when you start making changes to things that God has done, you are in, in very serious trouble. And uh, it, it, it's especially uh, concerning when you look around and you see how many people have made changes. And of course, we started talking last uh, Sunday night about the organization of the church. And this is one of the things that people seem to absolutely have no ability to leave alone. They've got to change it. Uh, years ago, people started saying, you know, we need to call Bible things by Bible names and do Bible things in Bible ways. And I absolutely agree with that. So when you look at the, uh, at the organization of the church, it needs to be organized the way God organized it. You know, Jesus said that he would build his church. He built his church. It belongs to him. I don't have any right to make changes to it, uh, and neither does anyone else. Uh, last Sunday, we talked about the preacher and some of the things that have been done there, and what I'd like to do uh, this evening is talk about the elders. There are very few denominational uh, groups that have <clears throat> anything even approaching uh, an eldership. Uh, a lot of them have, uh, for example, a board of directors. Uh, or sometimes, in the case of some of the Baptist churches, they will have a, uh, a board of deacons. The deacons do everything. They're the ones who have all of the authority. Uh, and as I mentioned uh, last week, one of the things that has always caused me a, a little bit of confusion is that most of these people will talk about the preacher as the pastor. Well, a pastor is just the way a, a Greek word is translated that means shepherd. The shepherd's the leader of the flock. So when did the flock get the right to fire the shepherd? I have never been able to figure that one out, but they can uh, if, if you talk to them. Uh, <clears throat> but you have uh, the church set up the way God wanted it set up. And, and one of the things that kind of gives you, a, it's a real brief view of it, but you get kind of the ideas in Philippians chapter one. In, uh, in the greeting there, Paul says, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons. That's what he says. That's who he's writing to. So he says that the congregation there basically uh, was made up of saints, bishops, and deacons. Now, the word saint just means a sanctified one. 
It means something or someone who has been set aside for a holy purpose. And it does not mean what some people think it does. As far as the, the Catholic Church and their, their whole pantheon of saints, uh, all of these different saints that they've got and they pray to saints, uh, and to be a saint you have to have been dead for so many years, uh, you had to have been a good person while you were alive, and you either had to <clears throat> perform a miracle or a miracle happened when somebody prayed to you after you died, and they get all of this together, and then they, they have a, a bunch of the cardinals get together, and they vote on it, and then you become a saint. Uh, there's nothing in the Bible about that at all. As far as the Bible is concerned, a saint is a sanctified person. They have been set aside for a holy purpose. In other words, they're a Christian. Christian and saint mean exactly the same thing whether they uh, would agree to that or not. Now, when he talks about the bishops, uh, again, that's a word that pops up uh, occasionally uh, in the, uh, uh, in this case, New King James. It also is found in the King James Version of the Bible. And it is one, uh, it, it's a Greek word that's translated in a, a variety of ways. Uh, there are two places in the New Testament where you find all of the terms used to refer to elders in the same place. And one of those is over in Acts chapter 20. In Acts chapter 20, the Apostle Paul is on his way back to Jerusalem. And, and as he's traveling, he stops and he calls for the elders of the church in Ephesus. Uh, in Acts chapter 20, verse 17, it says, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, you know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. <clears throat> How I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And see, now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not shown to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Now, uh, the word shepherd there in verse 28 is in the New King James. In the King James, it says, feed the flock. <clears throat> the word is shepherd. And shepherding the flock has a lot more involved with it than just feeding the flock. Feeding the flock is part of it. But there's a lot more involved than just that. So he tells them, shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So you have them referred to as elders, overseers, and shepherds. 
Now, you've got uh, three different words. Uh, episkopos is one that is oftentimes uh, either translated as bishop or overseer. Same thing, means exactly the same thing. Uh, when he talks about shepherd, uh, shepherd or pastor, the Greek word is poimen, and uh, it means exactly the same thing. And then you've got episkopos that's translated as overseers uh, biggest part of the time. So those are the words that are used to refer to elders. They all refer to the same group of people here in Acts chapter 20, and they also refer to the same group of people over in 1 Peter chapter 5. Because when Peter is talking to the elders there, he uses all three of those terms. He's talking to one group of people. He's not talking to the elders and to the preacher. He's talking to the elders. The elders are the shepherds. They are the pastors. Now, a preacher can be a pastor if he's also an elder. That occasionally happens. But just as far as a title for the preacher is concerned, Pastor is not a biblically authorized title, unless he's also an elder. Now, one of the problems uh, that has popped up, uh, and it's, it, it, it's showing up in the Lord's Church, uh, as well as what few denominational bodies actually have a, uh, an eldership, or oftentimes they'll refer to them as, as their presbyters or bishops, but one of the things that has come up is that elders have no authority except to act as good examples. And, and I had a, um, uh, he, he was a young guy, but I had a, a, a preacher uh, from the Lord's Church tell me that one day. He said, elders don't have any, any authority to tell people what to do. He said, they're just supposed to be good examples. Uh, I said, where do you get that? You know, they're called overseers. Does an overseer not have authority? You know, they, they have authority. Nope, nope, nope. It's only, it's only as good examples. And I said, that's not the case at all. And he said, well, do you mean to tell me that if the elders came in and they said, we want all of the people in the congregation that are on this side of the building to move over to that side, we want everybody on that side. I said, do you think they have the authority to do that? And I said, yes, they do. If they think this is something they think will be for the good of the congrega uh, congregation, they absolutely have the right to say it. And I said, if, if they have no authority, why do we have the, uh, the qualifications for elder? You have qualifications in 1 Timothy and in Titus so that you don't pick the wrong kind of people. You don't want somebody that's going to abuse the authority, but somebody that will, will use it properly. Yes, elders are supposed to be good examples, but they have real authority as a group. Now, if you have you know, a number of elders, uh, two, four, 10, whatever, uh, and somebody wants something done, and they go to one of the elders, you're an elder, you can, you can tell us to do that. No, I can't. It's not the elder, it's the eldership. The elders as a group have got to decide it. And that's one of the reasons that it's really, really good to have an odd number of elders. That's my personal opinion. Uh, nothing in the Bible talks about that, but that way you don't end up with a tie. 
you know, if, if, if people are wanting to do something, you, you, you go to a group of five elders and you say, what about it? Three of them say yes, two of them say no. Well, three outvotes two. So it, it is a handy thing. But in, in 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, Peter says, The elders who are among you I exhort. I who am a fellow elder. Peter was an elder of the church too, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God, which is among you serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Now, when he talks about elders being examples to the flock, he's not saying that that's the only uh, authority that they have. He's saying that that's what they ought to do. They ought to be good examples to the flock, and they should not act as lords over those entrusted to them. In other words, elders can't go in and say, we're going to do what we want to do, and we don't care what you people think. We're the boss. We make the decisions, and you all just have to put up with it. They cannot do that. They can't uh, decide that they're going to do what they want and leave everybody else out. What elders do is to be done for the good of the congregation, for the spiritual good of the congregation. And that's one of those things that it has to take precedence over everything else. You know, there, there may be some things that, that might be uh, good for the congregation, but they don't come under the heading of spiritually good. And, you know, you can do those or not. It, it, it's an optional matter. But when it comes to the, to the spiritual life of the congregation, that is the primary uh, responsibility that the elders have. They're to look out for the spiritual well-being of the congregation. And they are shepherds. They shepherd the flock. They feed the flock. They tend the flock. They lead the flock where it needs to go. But you don't do it by compulsion. You can't have somebody that just nags you into it tells you you have to do it. Now, uh, it, it's one of those things, you know, Paul talks about uh, elders desiring the job. Now, that's one of those things that it, I think it would be a good idea to kind of look at uh, a bit because sometimes I think we, we forget exactly what he's talking about. Uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1, this is a faithful saying, if a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. Now, at the time that this was written, there were elders who were being paid. Uh, I heard an argument one time. Uh, somebody was arguing that, that preachers should not be paid and the elders should. Well, the Bible says that preachers should be paid. You know, the laborer is worthy of his hire. But if you look into the New Testament, you find out that there were elders who were being paid as well. Uh, in, uh, again, uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2, shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain. Not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Some of the elders were being paid. 
And he's saying, you know, you, you don't need to be doing it for the money. That's not the, that's not the purpose. So when, a, when a, a man desires the position of bishop or elder, it's not because I want to be an elder, I want to be a big shot, and I want to tell people what to do. If it's that kind of a person and he has that kind of desire for the job, you don't want him. You know, you, you need to, to, to make sure that he's not there. When they desire the office, it's, it's there is a work that needs to be done. And I feel that I have the qualifications to do it, and I want to do a good job for the congregation. That's the kind of desire they're supposed to have for the job, not because they want to be a big shot. So they desire the work, and he says they desire a good thing. Now, when you look at the, uh, the qualifications that Paul lists here in 1 Timothy chapter 3, uh, first of all, he has to desire the work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, and able to teach. Not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous. One who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. When you go down through that list of qualifications, most of those are qualifications for Christians. Most Christians should be qualified exactly the same way. There are some of them that are unique to elders, but a lot of them are, are qualifications that all Christians should have. Now, when you look at some of these things, you know, he says a bishop then must be blameless. Is there anybody on the face of this earth that is blameless? No, there's not. The only perfect person who ever lived on this earth was Jesus the Christ. Everybody can be blamed for something. What he's talking about is in general. It's a, it's a general statement of truth. They're not a bad person. They don't go out of their way to do bad things. Every time they, they, they try to do something, they try to do the right thing. They may occasionally make mistakes. But if they see it's a mistake, they try to rectify the mistake. They try to fix it. That's what he's talking about. And you go through a lot of these others. Now, one of them in particular uh, that I wanted to look at is there at the very end of verse 2, able to teach. I have heard people say that you cannot be an elder if you don't teach a class. Uh, did they have set Bible classes in the first century? I don't know. I have no idea. There's nothing in uh, the New Testament that says one way or the other. Now, you do have some things that kind of hint toward the fact that they may have done that. Some of them met day by day in the synagogue or someplace like that to do some studying. But as far as an organized Bible class, the way uh, we do things today, you know, did they do that then? I don't know. If I don't know, then can I say that a man can't be an elder unless he teaches one of those classes? Well, I don't know if they had those classes. So, you know, it, it's one of those things. It, it's, do I think it's a good idea for an elder to teach class? Absolutely. 
Do I think that you are disqualified from being an elder if you don't? I'm not going to say that because I can't say that. I don't have anything in Scripture that points that out definitively. But what I will say is when you look at what Titus has, uh, remember the Apostle Paul wrote this as well, but he says, uh, start up at the, at the very first of the uh, qualifications, Titus chapter 1, verse 5. For this reason I left you in Crete that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination, for a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. That's the purpose for them having the qualification of being able to teach. They have to know what to teach. It's not so much that they teach a class and they do it really well. That's one of those things. I've, I've known people who can stand in front of a, a group of people. I don't care how many it is, three, four hundred. They can stand up there and they can teach an absolutely wonderful class. But if you get them down one-on-one, -on -one, they start to kind of get nervous about that. You know, it's almost confrontational and they don't do as well. And I knew one guy, he could not teach a class to save his life. He got nervous, he stumbled over his words, he misspoke, you know, dropped papers in the floor and everything else. But you get him one-on-one, -on -one, and I had never seen a better teacher in a one-on-one -on -one situation. The guy was great. He talked to people, he made them feel at ease, he could tell them they were wrong about things without them getting all upset about it. They didn't get offended at the things he said because of the way he said them. He just had that kind of manner about him. He was really good at that. Some people are good at one thing. Some people are good at something else. Is it a good thing for an elder to teach a class? Absolutely. Do they have to teach a class? I won't go so far as to say that, but they have to know what to teach. That's the key. Because say, for example, <clears throat> you have somebody come in uh, to preach a gospel meeting. Uh, you, 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 you've invited the, the person because of a recommendation that somebody else had made, and maybe the guy changed since they'd seen him, and they didn't know what he was like now. And he gets up and he starts to preach, and you're sitting there and you're saying, wait a minute, that's not right. That is absolutely not right. The elders have to be able, if necessary, to stand up in the middle of it and say, hold on just a second. If this is what you're saying, we don't want to hear any more of this because that's wrong, and this is why it's wrong. And you shut it down right then. They have to be able to do that. Hopefully, they'll never need to do that, but they need to be able to. They have to be able to teach sound doctrine uh, and, and tell people, no, it's not right. You can't do that. One of the problems that we have, unfortunately, 
uh, I don't know if y'all have seen any of this or not, uh, but there are times when we use uh, some of these positions in the church as either a, uh, a reward for somebody that's been around a long time uh, or as kind of an encouragement. You know, maybe if we put them in that position, they'll be more faithful in their attendance and they'll show up more. Uh, that's wrong. It's absolutely wrong. Uh, there was a, a congregation that had, had made somebody an elder, and he didn't last there very long. The only reason they, they put him in that position at all is because they thought he was a, a good businessman. He had good business sense, and uh, he was well-known. That was it. Those were his only qualifications. And uh, I, I know that because I was around the guy a little while. Uh, but he came in, he said he had been an elder at one congregation. Some of the people had got mad because he hadn't been a member of that congregation for very long. And then he was put into the eldership and some people were jealous. So he decided that, well, they'd leave. And, uh, but he didn't want this congregation to put him into the eldership that quick. You know, I need to be around here a little while before you make me an elder. And I don't know about you, but the first thing pops into my head is, I don't recall anybody asking you to be one. You come in with the idea that that's just what's going to happen. You know, you might want to just wait a little bit and find out. And one of the things that I found out is that the uh, apt to teach qualification is one he did not have. He did not know up from down about the Bible. I mean, there are a lot of people that I know, even denominational people, that had more Bible knowledge than he did. He was absolutely unqualified. You know, get along with him real well as a guy, you know, nice guy to be with, but not qualified to be an elder. But the, the, the qualifications are there for a reason. And when you, when you look through, uh, say, the book of Acts, for example, Acts chapter 14, verse 23, you have uh, the apostle Paul and Barnabas. They've made a journey and now they're going to go back through some of these places that they've already been <clears throat> for two purposes. They're going to go and, and help strengthen the brethren, but also they're going to go and appoint elders in every congregation. You know, elders are important for a congregation, but they are not so important for a congregation that you appoint people that are not qualified. You know, sometimes uh, we have issues these days and have for the last several years. Uh, we have smaller congregations and they don't have elders. The reason they don't have elders is because they don't have people who they feel are qualified to be elders. Now, when you find yourself in that position, you have one of two choices. You can either say we're going to have to get along without elders as best we can until we have some people that are qualified to be elders. Or you can say, well, we'll just pick out a couple of the best people we know, even though they're not qualified, and we're going to stick them in the position. Bad idea. If they're not qualified, they're not qualified, don't put them in there. We want qualified elders. Unqualified elders can cause problems. And there's no biblical authority to do it. But you have to have, as close as you can, the proper organization. If you have people qualified to be elders, then you ought to have some elders. But they need to be qualified. Uh, one of the things, uh, again, that some people have issues with 
uh, or the, the whole limit of the elder's authority. And again, like I said, you've got First uh, uh, Peter chapter 5, and Peter does a really good job of pointing out exactly what that is. Elders are appointed by the authority of God. They are stewards. You know, in verse 4 there in 1 Peter 5, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Shepherds answer to the sheep, chief shepherd. They have to give an account of the things that they have done or, in some cases, the things that they have not done. They have a, a responsibility to do what Jesus would do if he were here. They're stewards. You know, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, in verse 12, Paul said, We urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. He said, they are over you. You need to do what they say as long as they're, they're telling you to do the right things and appreciate them for the work that they're doing. But they also uh, have to bear in mind the fact that there will be an accounting at one time or another. We have, uh, everybody is accountable for what they do. Some people are a little bit more accountable, you might think, than others. Uh, in, in Hebrews chapter 13, in verse 17, uh, the Hebrew writer said, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls, as those who must give account. They have to give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Elders have to give an account of not only how they've lived their lives, but what, they've, what they have done to the people that are under them. You know, how have they led them? And it's, it's one of those things, James chapter 3 and verse 1, James said, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. James is not trying to discourage people from being teachers. But what he is doing is, is telling them, you need to think about this first. You know, Paul talks about this kind of thing a lot. You, you get it in both of the Corinthian letters. You see it again in First Timothy. But you had some people who were trying to be teachers who were absolutely not qualified. They wanted to be teachers because in, in Jewish society, if you were a rabbi, a teacher, you were looked up to. You know, you, you were a step above everybody else. And they wanted to be important, so they wanted to be a teacher. And James is saying, don't do it if you don't know what you're doing. Because you're going to have to give account of that. So it's not just what you have done in your own body, the work that you have done, that God's going to hold you accountable for. It's what did you teach other people to do? In other words... You can be judged for the uh, opportunity that you have to do harm. Teachers have more opportunity to do harm than other people do because they're teaching a whole class. Other people, you know, basically we can just influence the people that we come in contact with. Teachers have got a whole class. And it's not only that. People tend to look at teachers and think, well, they probably know what they're doing. 
they must be right about this. They're a teacher, right? So I guess I'll go along with whatever it is they said. And, and elders are exactly the same way. Elders are in a position that they can cause a great deal of harm if they don't do what's right. And what we're being told is that they have to give an account. You know, God is going to say, you were a steward, you had my property, and you were supposed to take care of it. How'd you do? What did you do? Did you treat my property well or not? So you have the opportunity to, to basically have a greater condemnation. And that's one of the things I, I want to get into possibly uh, this coming Wednesday night uh, in our Bible study time. But elders have to stop and think before they become an elder that they're going to be held accountable for the influence that they have on other people. You know, people look at elders and they say, well, you know, they, they, they're an elder. They must know what they're doing. They have to be a good person. They know a lot of the Bible. They'll tell us what to do. They're not going to lead us astray. And so if they lead them astray, they don't know that they're doing it. And that's exactly what happens. And one of the reasons God has done everything absolutely right. And one of the ways you see that is in the organization of the church. I got started watching some videos a little while back. Uh, I don't know what the guy's background is or anything, but he does these things on denominational churches. And he does a great job of it. He tells you where it started, you know, what they believe and teach, what kind of, of problems they have, and a whole bunch of other things. And he was talking about the Methodist church back a while back, and he was talking about you have some uh, Methodist congregations that want to get out of the Methodist church because the Methodist church is, uh, you know, accepting uh, uh, gays in full fellowship, letting them be preachers and all of this stuff. They didn't like that, and they wanted out. Well, in order to get out, you had to get together. You had to have a vote uh, with the proper people. And then you had to apply uh, in order to get permission to get out. And if you did everything exactly right and you did it by the, by the, uh, the deadline, then they would let you keep your building and some of the money that you had been sending to them from the collection. Money comes into you, you send it to them. If the preacher's getting paid, they pay him. So if they decide you didn't get the paperwork in in time, that means out of the building. It's not yours, it's ours. All of the money that you've been stashing away, that's not yours either, that's ours. And, uh, you know, you, you start to see all kinds of problems inherent in that. And when you think about the fact that in the Lord's Church, we're all autonomous. One congregation cannot tell another congregation what to do. God was pretty smart when he set it up that way because he does everything perfectly. But you have this, this, this problem with people always wanting to go in the wrong direction and uh, do the wrong thing. Elders are important. Uh, it is important to have qualified elders. Having unqualified elders is not a good thing. That's going to be a mistake. And that's, you know, when, when John starts talking about Diotrephes, who wants to have the preeminence, I have a, a sneaking suspicion that that's exactly what Paul was talking about in Acts chapter 20 when he told the Ephesian elders, if you're not careful, men are going to arise from among yourselves that will try to draw uh, disciples away after themselves. They want to be the boss and do everything their way. 
And then again, you know, you see diatrophies, and that appears to be what he's doing. So you have to be careful about picking elders. You have to make sure that they're qualified, and you have to especially uh, make sure that they know what to teach. Whether they actually do any classroom teaching or not, they have to know what to teach. But the organization of the church is, is so important. If, if the church would be better being something else, God would have made it that way. If God didn't want the church to have uh, elders and deacons and members, then he wouldn't have organized it this way. God knew what he was doing, and if we don't know what he was doing, we need to leave it alone. There's a, uh, a principle. Uh, it's called Chesterton's Fence, and they illustrate it this way. They say, you, you've got a cart, and it's full of produce, and you're taking it to the market to sell. And you're, you're going merrily along your way, and all of a sudden you come, there's a fence in front of you. And you go, what's the fence here for? You know, I don't see anything that needs to be fenced in. I don't see anything that needs to be fenced out. What's the fence here for? And you decide, well, it's probably not here for anything. It's in my way. So you knock the fence down, and you take off with your, your produce to go to market. And then you find out later, you know, people are talking about all the damage that was done to the crops because somebody knocked the fence down, and this guy's livestock got out, and they just did horrible amounts of damage to other people's crops. And when we find out who it was that knocked that fence down, we're going to make him pay for it. The point of the whole thing is, is if you don't know what you're doing, leave it alone. There are so many times <laughs> I wanted to tell people that occasionally. But you need to find out what are the consequences of your actions before you act. You know, I said this morning, we, uh, unintended consequences. You hear that all the time. Somebody wants to do something good, they do something, and then something really bad happens because of it. Well, that's not what I wanted to happen. If you had sat down and thought about it for a few minutes, you would have probably realized that this was going to happen. You should have thought about it, but they don't. But we need to, you know, sometimes you just need to stop and say, wait a second, I need to know what's going on before I do anything else because I don't want to make a mess. I don't want unintended consequences. So people need to leave the organization of the church alone. God knew what he was doing. He knows perfectly what he's doing, and everything he did was right. And when he does it, we just need to follow along, do our part as, as Christians in the Lord's church. It may be that there's someone here this evening that's not a Christian. If that be the case, you could come forward this evening confessing your faith in Jesus as the Son of God, and you could be baptized, have your sins washed away. Maybe you're an erring child of God. You've done something that has, has uh, separated you from God, and you want to make it right. If that be the case, then you need to go to God in prayer, confess the sin to him from a repentant heart, and ask him to forgive you. And he's promised to do that. Or maybe you just need the prayers of those that are gathered here for some other reason. Whatever your need is, would you come forward and make it known while together we stand and sing?